We are in our series right now called Kindred, and Greg Boyd is not in town this week. He is, is he, did he get there, do we know? We don't know. Last night, oh, you guys, only this would happen to Greg Boyd. He was at the airport, and he was supposed to fly out and do a conference in Indiana, or somewhere for a Mennonite conference, and he was sitting there, and the loudspeakers said, anyone on this flight, we have lost our plane, so we're going to try to find it. Wouldn't that only happen to Greg Boyd, that he'd lose his airplane? I love that about him. He loses his shoes, he loses his keys, and now he lost his airplane. So hopefully he's over doing his ministry wherever he is. And Steve Weens is here from Open Door, and he is going to continue our Kindred series. But before we start that, we're so glad Steve's here. He's asked us to read uh, out of our Bibles. And if you have your Bible here, turn to Acts. You can also look up on the screen. Acts chapter 3, 1 through 8. And I'm going to read that for us. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John, when Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by his right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet, and he began to walk. Then he went into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Well, uh, hello, everyone. My name is Steve. It's so great to be back. Love Woodland Hills. We trust that Greg did get out to Ohio. I think he's where he's at. And uh, whenever we read the scriptures at our church at Open Door like that, uh, we do a kind of liturgical thing where we say, this is the word of the Lord. And then everyone else says, "Woo!" we have some maybe recovering liturgists in the house. So... Let's just, let's just pretend that the word of the Lord was just read because it was. And then I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. And then you'll say, thanks be to God that God reveals God's self in the form of a human being named Jesus and in the form of the written word of God and in the body of Christ. Amen. I mean, that's beautiful. So uh, this text that Mary just read, the phrase that will not stop ringing in my ears is when Peter looks at this guy and says, silver and gold, I don't have. I don't have any money for you. And I know that's what you want. But then he looks at him and says, but what I do have, and I really have it, I want to give it to you. And I want to give it to you freely. This countercultural, amazingly confident statement from a 21 year old man about named Peter. Let's pray as we dive into the word. Would you pray with me? God, this morning we pray for Greg as he preaches. We pray that your spirit would be on him. 
And we pray that your spirit would be on us as well. That you would be released to do your work among your people. And that you would pour out your power on us. Amen. Well, what Peter had to offer this lame man laying at this gate, which is called what? Beautiful. That's a little hint from Luke about what's about to happen. The gate called beautiful. Insignificant detail that doesn't really matter to the story, except for maybe it matters altogether too much to the story, that what it's about to happen is absolutely beautiful. But Peter knows what he has to offer. And he knows what he doesn't have to offer. So question, diving right in here, what do you have to offer? I mean, really, what do you have to offer? If we were sitting together talking and I asked you that question and you asked me that question back to me, I wonder what your answer would be. I think all of us have lots of things to offer. It's as if a piggy bank sort of resides inside of ourselves, and inside this piggy bank are things that we really do offer and things that we really should offer each other. Things like wisdom. Some of us have more than that. Some of us have a little less than that. All of us have experience. All of us have charm to one degree or another, though that might be argued. Some of us have money to some degree or another. Some of us offer ideas. Some of us offer our energy or our influence or our time. And all of us have those things that we have to offer. This church is saying what we have to offer is space. On that side of the building is this massive amount of space. So let's turn it into a place where people can sleep when it's seven degrees outside. That's something that the body of Christ can offer. And it's beautiful. And it should be offered. Amen? I mean, those things should be offered. And my time, when I can give it, should be offered. And my money, when I can give it, should be offered. In fact, some of you that were fired up about buying that Echo CD for five bucks, some of you should buy it for ten bucks or more. Uh, and, and, And some of you should buy ten of those CDs and give them away. And some of us have that to offer, and we should offer those things. But... My deal that I know is true about me from what I have to offer is at one time or another, what I have to offer when it, uh, it are those kinds of things, it runs out. Or it becomes l- less effective than I think it is at helping a person's actual need. It's amazing how many times my wisdom doesn't help people get to the next click in their life, Right? So question, when it comes to the things you have to offer, what do you do when those things that you have to offer aren't enough? What do you do? And you offer it, and you give, and you give your time, and you give your resources, and you give your energy, and you give your ideas, and you give your wisdom, and you give your experience, and you give all those things, and you're staring at the person that's lying next to the gate called beautiful, and they're still not getting up and walking. What do you do then? What do you do when what you have really, really isn't enough to help the person that really, really needs to be helped. Now, Greg has been, I've been following along via podcast, 
And I think Greg's been doing an amazing job laying out in this series that you're calling Kindred, laying out the Anabaptist theology. And doesn't it sound like Wolven Hills as he's been going? Just, it's like, wow, I mean, how have you not found this before? Right? I mean, how, how come it took you 20 years to, to connect these dots? Uh, and so I was talking to Greg on the phone this week, and he said, Steve, you have to read The Naked Anabaptist by Stuart Murray. I know he's encouraged you all to read that. Anyone starting to read that book? Isn't it great? I mean, it's like, ah, oh, it's a breath of fresh air, isn't it? And one of the things that Stuart Murray argues is that we are coming to the end of an era that's lasted for hundreds and hundreds of years, started at the end of the 4th century when Constantine sort of mandated that the world become Christian. Now that's not necessarily, I think, what God had in mind when God said, we're going to spread uh, my word all, all around the world. And it's not going to come via a power mandate. It doesn't really work that well when it goes like that. But Murray argues that at the end of the 20th century, that era of Christendom, uh, which is, you know, Christianity victorious and militant, has coming to a close. Christianity, where it's been at the center of society, is no longer a reality. And some people have freaked out about that. And it's time to take America back. And it's time to get, you know, we've we got to get the government back on track, back to its godly values. And I know Greg has talked uh, at length about that. But what Murray argues is that the church has actually been being given a gift moving from the center to the margins where the church can really be the beautiful, messy, redemptive church that it always has been when it works from the outside in. So I want to tell you this story that Mary just read, but I want to tell it to you from the perspective of the lame man, from the perspective of someone that's actually on the margins. So please forgive me if this freaks you out a little bit that I took the liberty to paraphrase a part of Scripture, but it's my best guess at what was going on in the mind of the person that was laying at the gate called... Beautiful. Let me read it to you. My, my paraphrase of Acts 3, 1 through 8. One day I was being carried up to the temple gate at the time of prayer. Actually, it was a little before the time of prayer so that people would see me as they were going in and maybe give me some money. It's what I did every day. I ask everybody for money, and sometimes I get a little. That's the way every day goes, but on this day, something very different happened. I asked two guys for money, like I always do, and both of them stopped. And they looked straight at me. And the loud one <laughs> said, look at us. I was shocked because you guys, no one looks at me. So I gave them my attention, hoping for something a little extra because I was hungry. You ever been there? You ever been at the place where you're so desperate and needy that you actually have to be carried to a place to ask for help? You ever been so dependent on the generosity of someone else 
that people won't even really look in you, look at you in the eyes? Because it creates shame in them even? Have you ever been there? What do you do with that place of neediness in you? How okay are you being needy and not having anything to offer? I hate that, P.S. Can we all just say it out loud as a sort of mass confession? We hate being needy. (laughs) Thank you. This is audience participation. You actually talk back. You guys are usually really good at that. So don't stop now. We hate being needy. We hate asking for help. We hate having the piggy bank be broken and empty. We love having something to offer. And there's something beautiful about having something to offer, so I'm not saying that that's wrong. But I wonder, in the countercultural kingdom that is the kingdom of Jesus, I wonder if we're not at our very, very best when we think we have nothing to offer. Because that's when the power of the risen Jesus can meet us in our emptiness and fill us with something that the world really needs. Amen? And I think that's the countercultural message of the Gospel when it's being played out at its best. And that's why it works best on the margins and not in the center of power. Because in our culture and in cultures years gone by, we are marked by what we have to offer and how much we have to offer. And we're valued and evaluated on the basis of how much we have to offer, how big our piggy bank is. And the, in, in the economy of Jesus, Jesus is saying, I got a totally different set of values that I want to put on life. So let's go back to this story of this lame man sitting at the gate that is called beautiful. Again, the loud one said, silver or gold I don't have. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking me by the right hand, he actually helped me up. And I felt something I'd never felt before in my whole life. I felt my legs. Can you imagine that actual day that actually happened in the actual universe? So then things got really crazy. I don't actually remember much of it. I jumped to my feet. I began to walk. Then you guys, I went to a place I'd never been before in my life. I went with these two guys into the temple courts. I'd never been there before. And I was walking and I was jumping and I was praising God because I got given a gift. And yes, the gift was that I could now walk But I also was given the exact same thing that Peter had when he reached his hand down and helped me up. I was given the presence of the risen Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And now I have something to offer. And this guy that walked right into the temple gate, temple courts, now was as full as full could be, and it wasn't because he could walk. It was because the risen Jesus Christ of Nazareth showed up and filled his emptiness. 
Question, where do you go with your woundedness? Where do you bring your woundedness? Imagine you could see your own woundedness laying down there by the gate that is called beautiful. Imagine if you could get that gift of actually seeing yourself in your wounded form, laying at the gate that is called beautiful, going into the temple where you're going to meet God. What would you do with that self as you encountered that self? What do you do with that self as you encounter that self, that wounded self, that needy self? What do you do with it? Some of you pass right by. Man, I don't want to look at you. I don't want to touch you. I don't want to acknowledge you because you have nothing to offer and you're just going to get me in trouble. So let's keep rolling. Some of you do that, right? I do. That's, that's my response. So let's just keep, man, maybe pour another drink. Maybe get a little more busy. Maybe have a little more sex. Whatever it is that's going to numb or blind out that seeing yourself as you actually are in your wounded state, let's just keep going. Some of you overindulge the wounded self and don't really address it. You don't, you don't really ever take the wounded self and say, we got to do something about you. We got to actually bring you to Jesus to get healed. Some of you overindulge it and over-identify with it. Where do you bring your woundedness? What would it look like for you as an integrated whole person, the person that has something to offer, to pick up that wounded self by the right hand and walk into the presence of God and say, here I am, all of me, my actual life, with all of its messiness and all of its neediness and all of its wounding, and here I am. Here's what happens when we have the courage to do that. It's right out of the text. In Acts chapter 3, verse 8, we read, again, he jumped to his feet, began to walk, then he went with Peter and John into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God, which in part is a beautiful picture of the kingdom because it means those who are on the margins are taken in. The, the table that is the table of Christ is a table that always has room, especially for those who are on the outsides and haven't been at the table. So that's the table of Jesus Christ. But the table of Jesus Christ is also for people who have the courage to integrate into their whole selves and say, I will not only offer what I have to offer, I will offer the very place where I have been wounded and empty. And that is the place, I'm going to argue, where you will experience the most blessing and anointing and authority in your life to help the world where the world really needs help. Amen? The place where you actually have been wounded. I was talking to one of my friends last night that was here, and she's been spending some time with an organization that helps women who are in prostitution and uh, people who are in human trafficking. And it's led by this woman who's pretty amazing. She's now meeting with city officials and legislators and trying to get trafficking and prostitution on the map so that something really can be done about it. And you know what her history is? 
She was a prostitute for 31 years. And you know what she's doing now? She's helping these women, connecting them with the God who can heal them. I mean, that is authority. And that is power. And that is bringing your integrated and whole self to the table where what you have to offer is where you've been wounded and healed because you didn't over-identify with that. You didn't with that wounded self that you saw lying by the temple gate called. And you didn't walk by it and ignore it and numb out. You decided to pick it up. Or maybe someone decided to pick it up for you and you walked into the presence of God where you are in the process of being healed. I grew up as a really, really uh, bad stutterer. I mean, I couldn't put two words together. And it was, if you're a stutterer, you just know that that's such a, it's just very, uh, it's very difficult because people try to finish your sentences and people get really anxious around you and then you, it, that makes you even more anxious. And so it's this, so every time I get up to one of these stages to speak, I mean, really, every time I laugh to myself, I go, no way, no way, God, are you going to use this mouth? to preach your gospel, this broken mouth. No way, no way. And God just kind of smiles and goes, it's kind of what I do. (laughs) Amen? Henry Nouwen, anyone a Henry Nouwen fan in, in, in the house? Man, I love Henry Nouwen, the late Henry Nouwen. He wrote this book called The Wounded Healer. And he writes, the paradox of Christian leadership is that the way out is the way in. That only by entering into communion with human suffering can relief be found. That means at least one thing. If you're going to enter into human suffering, what you need to do is enter into your own suffering. And you need to bring your wounded self into the presence of God so that it can enter a process of being healed. And the process lasts a lifetime. You know, it it does. Um, And that's part of why I think when God's people are at our best, we're just continually aware of our dependence on God. That the power and authority we can bring in a countercultural way And this, I think, would really ring true to the spirit of the Anabaptists that Greg's been talking about and that Woodland Hills is sort of wondering, man, is that our tribe? Is that we're at our best when the Holy Spirit is filling us from the inside out to live our actual and ordinary lives after the pattern of Jesus Christ. who was himself a wounded healer. Amen? So what does it mean? What does it mean to be a wounded healer? What does it mean to be someone that's so in touch with your own suffering that you can enter into the suffering of someone else without getting absolutely swallowed up by it? Do you know what I mean by that? Because there's the danger there. And and some of us will, I'm 29 years old. I'm going to go do it all. I'm going to save the world. I'm going. I'm going toward the darkest area of the world. I'm going to do it. I'm going to break open that piggy bank. I got lots of experience, at least 29 years of it, and I'm going. And then about three weeks into it, you're 
in a puddle on the floor because the enormity of human suffering just swallowed you up because you're trying to do it on the basis of your piggy bank and what you have to offer. And then all of a sudden, you, you realize that the people that you came to help and enter into the suffering with, man, they're pretty ungrateful. Like, they don't even care. I mean, thank you very much. I, I, I'd quit my job to come help you, and you don't even care. Thank you, it would be nice. So three weeks into it, I'm, you know, in a fetal position on, on, on the floor because you're not admiring me. Right? Come on. Let's get a picture of the suffering servant, the wounded healer that the prophet Isaiah wrote about uh, many, 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 many years before Jesus was even born. This beautiful prophecy that describes what Jesus was like. This is from the message version. I love how Eugene Peterson puts this. The servant, Jesus, grew up before God, but he was a scrawny seedling, a scrubby plant in a parched field. All right. That's what I want on my resume. Steve Weens, scrubby plant, in a parched field even. Uh, There was nothing attractive about him, nothing to cause us to take a second look. So he didn't probably have blue eyes and flowing blonde hair. He was looked down on, passed over, a man who suffered, who knew pain firsthand. One look at him and people turned away. We looked down on him. We thought he was scum. But the fact is, it was our pains he carried, our disfigurements, all the things wrong with us that he carried on himself. We thought that he brought it on himself, that it was God who was punishing him for his own failures. But it was our sins that did that to him, that ripped and tore and crushed him. It was our sins. He took the punishment, and that is what made us whole. He was the wounded healer. Through his bruises, we get healed. And we need to remember that. That's the person in whose image, body of Christ, we bear in ourselves the suffering servant in touch with our woundedness. In touch with our emptiness. In touch with the fact that what this world needs most is the authority that comes from someone that knows what they have to offer is helpful, but the power of the risen Christ is what people need and what changes people from the inside out. A relationship with Jesus that actually empowers them to live a kind of life that has the authority and a story to spread God's Word all the way around the world. And it's... Ordinary people that do this work. Ordinary people on the margins of society who have a life that's been changed by God. Ruth Haley Barton writes this about the character of the body of Christ. She writes, The possibility that human beings can be transformed to such an extent that they image Christ, which would be central to the Anabaptist theology, is central to the message of the gospel, to the mission of the church. My paraphrase, it has to be possible that we might actually, over the course of, life, of our lives, incrementally and in community, be transformed so that we can more and more look like Jesus, empowered by the Spirit of Jesus to do what Jesus wants to do in the world. Amen? 
to spread God's kingdom all throughout the world, life by life and city by city through actual ordinary people and our actual ordinary lives empowered by an extraordinary, extraordinarily powerful God. That's the way the kingdom spreads. So imagine if you and I could bring to the stage this person who formerly was lying by the gate called Beautiful. Imagine if we could bring him up here on the stage and hear his story. And imagine if we could ask him this question. So what do you have to offer? He might say, well, I don't have a seminary degree. I don't have any money. I don't even have a job. I don't have a family. I don't have a great past. I don't have a resume. I don't have lots of experience. But what I have written on my heart is that Jesus is the sweetest name I know. That's what's written on my heart. And I once was blind, and now I see. And you can argue with that. But it's just my story. What if the most powerful thing you had to offer the world was simply your story of transformation that happens in most of our cases, you guys, incrementally, click by click, moment by moment, day by day, when all of a sudden... Three or four years later, you kind of have an experience and you realize, whoa, I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I, don't, I didn't respond to that like I used to respond. Whoa, 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 whoa. All of a sudden, you, you just kind of realize, I, 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 I think I'm changing. And then people around you, and it's not like, they, you are so great. But you just notice that your effect on people just is changing a little bit because there is someone inside of you that actually is giving you um, authority. Do you know what that word authority simply means? You have money in the bank, so to speak, so that when you offer what you have to offer, it gets cashed. It means that you're speaking from a place of experience. Now, you can be seven and do that. You can be 77 and do that. You can be 107 and do that. So, question. When you think about uh, this world right now, with all the issues that exist, sometimes I can get overwhelmed with the need. I mean, I really can. And I can get on the, on the floor, curled up in a fetal position. <laughs> they didn't even appreciate me. But I can wonder, okay, Lord, if, if, if I really start to move out into even, I'm not talking about the darkest corners of the earth. I'm just talking about some foggy areas of Maple Grove where I live. You know, like at Byerly's, you know. Lord, if I really go into the darkest corner of Byerly's, <clears throat> you, you got to go click by click, right? Uh, will you meet me there? And this is what's kind of amazing. I think here's what God says, and I don't want to, but it's like God kind of goes, 
huge smile on God's face, twinkling God's eye. God goes, okay, why don't you go there first? And then you'll see if I show up. Okay? Like, I'm not going to email you with the GPS location where I'm currently at. Hey, come meet me at Byerly's. I'm at Byerly's. I'm at Larpenter and Van Dyke. I'm in North Minneapolis. I'm in Europe. I'm in Africa. I'm all over the world. I'm, I'm in every single corner of the world calling people to myself to join me in building my kingdom. So, I want to read these verses to you if you, like me, are a little bit freaked out about whether or not God will meet you in the foggy areas of your life. 2 Corinthians 9. Now, this may be like wishful thinking or magical thinking or, or it might be as real as the seat that you're sitting on. You choose, okay? You choose. God can pour on the blessings in astonishing ways. I love that word, astonishing. In unbelievably creative ways so that you're ready for anything and everything. More than just ready to do what needs to be done. As one psalmist puts it, God throws caution to the winds, giving to the needy with reckless abandon, with a kind of indiscriminate generosity. Do you believe that is what God is like? Well, psalmist did. God's right living, right giving will never run out, will never wear out. This most generous God who gives seed to the farmer that becomes bread for your meals is more than extravagant with you. He gives you something that you can then give away. That's the only way you're going to give something away is if God gives it to you, which grows into full-form lives, robust, I love that word, robust in God, wealthy in every way so that you can be generous in every way, producing with us great praise to God, walking and leaping and praising God, having got up from your place of woundedness, from a place of healing, from a place where you know now that you have something to offer. And it's not from your piggy bank. It's from the presence and power of the risen Christ which resides in you, which is healing you right at this moment and inviting you to join God in God's great dream of transforming the whole world from the margins in. The most beautiful thing I think about this story is that every single person on planet Earth can enter into it. So you just, you just, where are you wounded? Is there a wound that is too big for God to put God's hand on and begin the process of healing? No. My pastor, Dave Johnson, who, by the way, says hello. He sent me a hilarious text this morning. He said, don't screw it up, Steve. Our whole reputation is riding on this. <laughs> no, he says hello, and he loves you guys. But he preached this message a couple of weeks ago, this, a different message. Not this message. That would be awkward. Um, <laughs> but he preached a message on that text, and that's what we do. We just kind of sit in a certain text for 
many, many weeks. And he said, picture the Trinity like this. It's a dance. Perichoresis, you guys have heard that word before, which means to dance around. That's the understanding of the Trinity. And God the Father is saying, I love my people so much that I will give. And I will give, and I will keep giving. I will give my Son. I will give my presence. I will give myself. And then the Son, seeing the Father and the Father's spirit of giving, says, I will go. I will go into the darkest corners of the earth. I will become a human being so that they can see what you are like, Father, with flesh and blood. And then the Spirit goes, well, if you're going to give and you're going to go, then I'm going to pour. I'm going to pour my Spirit out with reckless abandon to anyone who is willing to bring their empty and wounded self to me so that I can fill it up. I will pour out my spirit to the hungry ones, to the lost ones, to the broken ones, to the ones who are at the end of their rope. I will pour out my spirit in powerful ways so that you can live robust lives. That's a great picture, isn't it? Would you stand? I'm going to pray over you. A kind of benediction. Because I'm hungry for, to live that kind of life. Amen? I mean, that's the kind of life I want to live. More and more yielded to the presence and power of the Spirit in my life so that I can look more and more like Jesus in the world. And I can't do that by trying hard. I can't do that by offering what's in my piggy bank. I have to offer what's not in my piggy bank. I have to offer my woundedness, my emptiness. So I want to invite you, if you're comfortable, to just reach out your hands like this. And we're going to ask Holy Spirit, come and pour out your Spirit on us. And we're going to give to you our brokenness. We're going to give to you our sin, the sinful patterns in our lives. We're going to say, here they are, God, right now. Here they are, God, revealed to you. Shine the light on them. No more hiding. God, here's my empty self. Here's my wounded self. Here's my broken self that I've ignored for too long or that I've indulged too long. Here it is. Then would you picture Jesus twinkle in his eye, reaching down with his powerful right hand and pulling you up so that you can stand up straight into who you are, fully integrated and filled with the power of God to live your actual and ordinary life. Would you see Jesus wrapping his arm around you and taking you right into the temple courts, right into the presence of God, and sitting you down at the table, this feast to eat until you are absolutely satisfied because God is the God that gives you enough. There's no scarcity. Even abundance is weird. God gives you enough to live your life exactly as it is. So God, come. We thank you so much for the power that is present and available to us. We ask you to comfort those who are depressed and down. We ask that you would lift them up. We ask you that you would confront those of us who are too proud to let you in. 
that you would confront our own reliance on our own self and that you would even humble us so that we could see how desperately we need you. God, empower this church to be so filled with your spirit and the picture of Jesus in St. Paul that this place would be um, a fragrant aroma. I mean, that it would smell so good to people who are far from God that people would actually get needs met here, that people would actually meet you here and be transformed and be empowered to live their actual life filled with you. Anoint and bless this church, God, to do what you dream to do in their corner of the world. In your name, amen. All God's people said, Amen. amen. If you need prayer for anything, the prayer ministers will be available. For the rest of you, thanks everybody. It's lovely to be here. Thank you.